Hello everyone and welcome to my first ever episode of a new series where I review solved and unsolved cold cases. For our first ever episode, we will be talking about a case that is well known in the Chicago area and has been reported as the oldest cold case murder in the United States. This is the case of Maria Ridolph. Maria Elizabeth Ridolph was born March 12, 1950 in Sycamore, Illinois. Her parents were Michael and Francis Ivy Ridolph. She was the youngest of four children, two sisters, and one brother. Her father, Michael, worked at a factory in Sycamore, and her mother was a homemaker. On the afternoon of December 3, 1957, Maria had continuously begged her parents to allow her to go play outside. The sun had set, and it had started to snow, and Maria was super excited, and as any child would want to, she wanted to go outside and play. So Maria's parents had allowed her to go outside after dinner, to play with her best friend, Kathy Sigmund, who lived on the exact same street as the Riddles. The pair had gone out to play a game that they called Duck the Cars, in which they would run back and forth in the street, attempting to avoid headlights of any cars that were coming down the street. And I know what you're probably thinking, that's a dangerous game. <laughs> and it is, but you know how seven-year-olds are. While they were playing Duck the Cars that snowy night, they had been approached by a mysterious man. This man was said to have looked like he was in his 20s. He was tall, he had a slender chin with light-colored hair. Kathy also stated that the man who approached them in the street that night had this gap in his teeth and that he was wearing a colorful sweater. The man had told the girls that his name was Johnny and that he was 24 years old and not married, which is kind of a weird thing to say to two seven-year-old girls. Um, it's weird to approach them in general out at night in the middle of the street. Although, to you, it may be a little concerning that this man is talking to these seven-year-old girls in the street. Um, nonetheless, the girls did keep uh, making contact and kind of hanging out with this man in the street. Kathy had said that Johnny had asked them if they liked dolls and piggyback rides. Maria replied yes, and the man gave her a piggyback ride. And then Maria went back to her house to get dolls that she wanted to show Johnny. When she came back, Kathy decided that she wanted to run to her house and grab her mittens because, you know, it was snowing. It's probably really cold outside. Um, and when she returned to that same spot where she left Maria and Johnny to go get her mittens, they were no longer there. After Kathy had returned to an empty street, no Maria, no Johnny, she then went to Maria's house to tell her family that she couldn't find Maria. At first, the family just thought that maybe she was hiding, so they sent Maria's 11-year-old brother Chuck to go look for her, but he was unable to find her literally anywhere. As nobody was able to find Maria, uh, the Riddolfs decided they would call the police. Within an hour, the police and citizens had started to search Sycamore to try and find Maria, but with no luck. They couldn't find Maria nor the man, Johnny, that she had been last seen with. The FBI eventually got involved a few days after Maria went missing. They presumed that Maria had been abducted and possibly taken across state lines. The FBI, as well as local police, interviewed many people who had seen the girls playing outside that night. Witnesses said that between 6 to 6.30 p.m., they saw the girls playing but did not see another person with them. This concluded that Maria's disappearance must have happened between 6.45 and 7 p.m. that night. As Kathy was the only one to witness this incident with the man named Johnny, the police put her under protective custody immediately, as they were worried the man would come back to possibly abduct her as well. 
After Maria's disappearance, many suspects were interviewed, and they even showed Kathy pictures of them to see if she could pick out the man that she last saw her best friend with. One of these suspects was a man named John Tessier, but he was soon cleared as provided the police with an alibi the night of the crime. Later that month, Kathy had been taken to a police station in Dane County, Wisconsin. There, they would show her a lineup of possible suspects who fit the description of Johnny. It was there that Kathy had positively identified a suspect that went by the name of Thomas Joseph Rivard, who was only there to fill the lineup, as the police had actually suspected someone else that they had placed in this lineup. Rivard was described as a 35-year-old man who was approximately 5 foot 4 inches tall and around 165 pounds with curly, dark blonde hair. Rivard had an alibi, though. He was in jail at the time of the kidnapping, and he did not look anything like the man who had disappeared with Maria. He was much shorter and 17 years younger, in fact. After no good leads or suspects, it started to seem like finding Maria was pretty much out of sight. That was until April 26, 1958. On April 26, 1958, two tourists were out in a wooded area along U.S. Route 20 which is near Woodbine, Illinois, when they discovered something in the woods. The two tourists had discovered remains. The remains were that of a small child only wearing a shirt, undershirt, and socks. The state that the body was in had indicated that it had been there for some time, several months at least. With dental records, a lock of hair, and clothing that was located on the body, it was identified to be that of Maria Rudolph. The rest of what she was wearing, including slacks, a coat, shoes, and undergarments, were missing from her body. But there was no photo evidence taken at this crime scene, as the coroner did not want any photos of a child's body leaked to any newspapers. During the initial autopsy, due to the state of decomposition the body was in, they could not determine the cause of death. The case was relatively quiet until 1997, when the Sycamore Police Lieutenant Patrick Soler had closed the 40-year-old case of Maria Rudolph. He had named a former truck driver and carnival worker who died in 1992 named William Henry Redmond as the man who had most likely abducted Maria and killed her. Redmond had previously been charged in 1988 with the murder of an 8-year-old girl from Pennsylvania back in 1951, but the case was later dismissed. He was also a suspect in the 1951 disappearance of a 10-year-old girl from Ohio named Beverly Potts, as Redmond had told a fellow inmate that he committed a crime that was similar to the Rudolph case. The police also believed that he had matched the description and behavior of the man who called himself Johnny. The case was then closed as Solar's report was lacking supporting evidence and seemed as if it was made due to alleged political motivations. He himself even stated that it would have been difficult to convict Redmond without substantial evidence and a confession. The case sat for many more years closed, the Rudolphs still unable to get justice for their daughter's murder until 2008. Now let's go back to one of the very first suspects we talked about, John Tessier. On the night of Maria's disappearance, John Tessier was a suspect, as he fit the description of Johnny quite well, and of course, you know, the name, John um, but he had told the police that he was home that night, and his alibi was confirmed by that of his family. He and his parents had stated that the day of the 3rd, he was in Rockford, Illinois, which is about 40 miles northwest of Sycamore to enlist in the Air Force. They claimed he then spent the day sightseeing in Chicago before returning to Rockford via train. He allegedly arrived there around 6.45 p.m. He then called his parents for a ride home to the town of Sycamore. 
there were collect call records showing that a call was placed from the Rockford Post Office to the Tessier home at 6.57 that night by somebody who had given their name as John Tessier, as reported by the operator. Tessier had then met with officers from the Rockford Recruiting Station, and the officers confirmed that they had spoke with him around 7.15, but one of those officers had expressed some concerns about Tessier's credibility and conduct. Tessier was brought in as a suspect to take a lie detector test, which he had passed. He was then taken off the suspect list due to his lie detector test and his alibi, which had been confirmed, even though it was a little conflicting on a couple ends. He had left town the next day where he started basic training for the Air Force. He continued to serve in the U.S. military for 13 years when he moved to Seattle, Washington and became a police officer in the town of Lacey. Later on, he would join the police department in Milton, Washington, although he would be fired soon after. After getting fired, Tessier would get into some trouble as he took in a 15-year-old runaway by the name of Michelle Weinman, as well as her friend. He was later charged in 1982 in Tacoma, Washington, where he took in Michelle with statutory rape. Michelle had testified that he had done inappropriate things with her. He eventually pleaded guilty and was charged a misdemeanor for communication with a minor for immoral purposes. He was then terminated from the Milton Police Department because of this misdemeanor and was given one year of formal probation on March 10th of 1982. Many years later, on April 27th of 1994, John would legally change his name to Jack Daniel McCullough. By the year of 2011, he was now in his early 70s living in Seattle in a retirement home and working as a security guard. Now, in 2008, the case of Maria Rudolph was reopened. There was allegedly new evidence from John's sister, Janet. Janet Tessier stated in 2008 that their mother, Eileen Tessier, told them on her deathbed in January of 1994, and I quote, Those two little girls and the one that disappeared, John did it. John did it, and you have to tell someone. This was very much discredited for so long due to the fact that Eileen, the mother, was on her deathbed on multiple drugs as she was passing away due to her fight with cancer. Janet had heard from her sisters that Eileen had lied to the police about John's whereabouts that night, and she also heard from her sisters that they also heard the mother say he did it. Janet tried tirelessly for years to get the police to look into what her mother had said before she passed, but to no avail, they showed no interest until Janet had emailed the state police tip line as a last resort. They then decided to relook into John's alibi. Police had gotten a picture from Tessier's former girlfriend of an unused military-issued train ticket from Rockford to Chicago, dated for December 1957. There was no return ticket, and this was usable throughout the whole month, I believe. Uh, this indicated that, contrary to his alibi, he had not taken the train, but his own vehicle said he could have likely driven back to Sycamore that afternoon and kidnapped Maria and then driven back afterwards. A friend of Tessier's also stated that they had seen his car in Sycamore that afternoon as well, and his friend stated that he definitely would have not let another person drive his car, so it was definitely him. In 2011, Tessier, or now known as McCullough, was brought in for questioning. He refused to answer any questions and got kind of aggressive when he was asked so many questions about Maria and her abduction, but he was eventually arrested for kidnapping and murdering Maria, and he was then extradited to Illinois. That same month, Maria's body was then exhumed once again to check for DNA evidence, which they did not find. However, a forensic anthropologist was able to find out the official cause of Maria's death. 
Maria was stabbed in the throat at least three times by long and sharp blade. There was later some speculation that the evidence did not mean that there was not other causes of death, such as ligature strangulation, but this could not be properly investigated due to the decomposition of the body. On September 14th of 2012, Tessier was officially convicted of kidnapping and murdering Maria Rudolph. He received a life sentence with the possibility of parole in 20 years. At the time of the sentencing, he was 73. But that is not where this case closes, unfortunately. Eventually, and unfortunately, on April 12, 2017, Tessier or Mikula was declared innocent of his crime by the DeKalb County Circuit Court. He was cleared of this crime and allowed to walk free due to the fact that the DeKalb County State's Attorney, Richard Schmack, did an extensive review of his alibi and determined that there was no possible way that he could have been in Sycamore at the time of this crime. It took so many years for this case to finally be solved and so little time for it to go cold once again. So, what do you think? Do you think John did it? Do you think William Redmond did it? Unfortunately, unless someone is willing to confess or new evidence is ever found, I don't think that we will ever know. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone, and feel free to comment on my YouTube video or my Instagram what case you would like me to talk about next. And with that, I will see you in my next video.